Hey guys, we've been getting a lot of questions about Kale's spinal cord injury and just how he came to be partially paralyzed. So we decided to do a bonus episode today in which we're going to be addressing these questions and providing some much needed clarity, I think. So I am sitting here with Kale. Say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and we are just going to get go and get ahead and get started. All right. So let's set the scene a little bit first. The, the date is June 17th, yep. 2015. You have just finished up your freshman year in high school. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. I, I just finished late May, so it was early June. Okay, so it was just after you'd finished this first year. You were coming off of this career of really getting ahead in basketball and mm-hmm. other sports activities. You were pounding it at the gym every day doing some lifting and all that jazz. Um, so I guess put us in the mindset and put us in the head of Kale Hyder that morning, June 17th. What was Kale Hyder doing? What had he done the day before? Mm-hmm. Just put us in perspective. Yeah, so. I guess the day before I did a lot of physical activity, like Caroline said. So I did a lot of basketball. I did uh, school basketball, travel basketball, and I did lifting and cross country. And I did all of that in the same day. Uh, so it was a pretty heavy day. Um, and that was June 16th. And then the next day I woke up and I had tingly hands. Um, it was kind of like I had, it felt like I had slept on my arms or something like if you slept you sleep on your arms and there's no blood flow it kind of felt like that tingly sensation uh, in my hands and I also had a stiff neck and sore shoulders and I just felt really weak um, so I decided not to partake in any physical activity that day and my mom decided to uh, schedule me for an appointment with uh, my pediatrician to try to gain some clarity on the situation and see what was up um, so we went there later that afternoon and he's like, I'm going to send you for an x-ray and see if we can find anything, uh, maybe a pinched nerve or something and nothing showed up on the x-ray. So he sent me home with ibuprofen and ice <laughs> and he said, just stay on track or keep track of it or whatever and see how it goes. Yeah. It's, it's always part of the story that gets me every time that you went in, you, you really did everything right, but, but you know, you're in a small town and the doctor Thanks nothing more than, oh, I'm sure you just just sprained something, you know? Yeah, pinched and, nerve when I'm expressing, you know, potentially severe neurological symptoms. But... Yeah. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. So I think that kind of sets the scene pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was kind of an understanding, I think, between you and your mom that something was a little more wrong than, than the doctor was saying. But, of course, you, knowing this person, is a trained professional. Mm-hmm. And he'd been, he'd been my pediatrician all my life. So. Yeah. So, so you trust him. Yeah. And so you go home. You follow his orders. Mm-hmm. You're alternating, I think you said, ice and um, uh, like There was biofreeze. Yeah. Biofreeze ice hot hot compresses like all that type of stuff and just to try to loosen out the shoulders i think to see if any of the like tight muscles were pressing on nerves Mm -hmm. and stuff and and that all that all seems completely valid based on what you had been told by your doctor so i think it wasn't until the next day that we really started to see that your symptoms maybe weren't as mild as they initially presented correct yeah Yeah, so i woke up and it was kind of the same story like same Still had the tingly hands and still had the weakness and tightness and my shoulders and neck. And uh, I decided again not to really do any physical activity. I went to practice, but I didn't I didn't do anything. I just kind of sat around. Um, but later that afternoon, I was laying on the couch and 
watching some, I don't know, ESPN program and it just, it's, it, I got a sense that something was, was wrong. Like, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but it, it just felt like something was wrong and I could feel the weakness in my shoulders and um, kind of progressing down into my arms. Um, so I decided to call my mom home and by that time it was late afternoon, like four o'clock and she, um, she works 20 minutes away. So she was home and within 20 minutes and, um, the pediatrician said the day before, like, if you need to contact the physical therapist, um, you can go ahead and do that. So my mom contacted them and was on the phone for like 20, 30 minutes. And by the time she got off, I was like, I was very upset and I was like crying and like being kind of hysterical because it just, my body felt out of control at that point. So my mom like brought me over and sat me down on the couch and she's like, okay, I'll rub out your shoulders and I'll put like biofreeze on your shoulders. And she kind of rubbed on my shoulders for 10 minutes. And during that 10 minute period, I could feel like my legs starting to like shake and quiver. And I was really, I didn't really understand what was happening there. And after that 10 minute period of like sitting on the couch, uh, my mom was like, okay, Kale, because I still hadn't calmed down. She's like, okay, Kale, try to like get up and let's like walk this off. But I couldn't get up. And so she tried to like help me up. She like put her arms around my waist and like try to pull me up. But I had like no strength in my legs to like push myself up. So then um, she like freaked out and called my called my dad home. And uh, he works about the same same time away or whatever, 20 minutes or so. So he got home. And uh, by that time, I I still didn't have any function in my legs. My arms were still fine. Like I could still like move my arms and hands, you know. But other than that, I couldn't really, really function very well. And so they carried me to the car and we went to the local local hospital. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, I remember we pulled up and this, I mean, it's a small town, so not a lot happens, but this, this ER nurse kind of, kind of hobbled out and she was like, um, is there anything wrong? And my parents were like, yes. And she was like, okay, um, what do you need? And she was like very slow, like not really like treating it as an emergent situation. And they're like, we need a wheelchair. And she kind of like walked in. So then my mom goes storming past her and like gets the wheelchair <laughs> herself and sits me down and then pushes me in. And I was only there for an hour or so because they realized they didn't have the equipment and drugs to treat me. So then I was sent to a larger regional hospital. And was that the hospital in Chicago? No, this was this was one in um, the middle of Illinois. It's called Peoria. Um, it, it's actually a Catholic hospital, which is hmm. interesting because my my mom raised me Catholic and I went to Catholic school my entire life. So it was kind of weird <laughs> that, you know, I kind of ended up there. But, Full circle. Yeah. So I was there and I received like steroids. Well, okay. So first I got like an extra or a MRI of my spinal cord and brain. Hopefully they want to give you an x-ray. No, 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 they gave me an MRI. <laughs> it was like a it was a big ordeal. It lasted like three, four hours and it was really intensive and it lasted well into the night because by that time when I had arrived, it was like 10 o'clock. So and then it was like a three, four hour MRI and then I had to get checked into the hospital and all of that. So it was like two, three in the morning before I mm -hmm. finally got settled in my room. Um, so they complete that. Like yeah. You said, they start they start running the steroids through you. Yeah. Um, the next day they start with the steroids and they did like this. Um, blood transfusion sort of therapy called plasma phoresis yeah. where they're trying to just filter out some of the bad um, immune cells and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important for our viewers to know that that this was 
caught and addressed very early that you got very lucky you were very fortunate to have doctors who were skilled and had the expertise that they could start providing this treatment right away um so that your eventual i guess outcome was Mm -hmm. greatly improved right and you have much better functionality than 99 percent of people who go through the same exact injury yeah because some a lot of doctors don't have experience with this type of injury and this type of onset Mm -hmm. so they don't really know what to do or what to treat it with so um and my type of like the way that the injury happens like you have like this initial injury but a lot of the damage comes from um like a secondary attack by your own body um so if you can control that secondary attack with anti-inflammatory um steroids and um other treatments then you can lessen that um attack on your own body and mm-hmm. have greater function as a mm-hmm. result. And also, oh, I think a lot of the time you hear, you know, spinal cord injury, you don't necessarily think spinal stroke, which is what mm-hmm. you went through. A lot of the time you'll think of these athletes or just everyday everyday citizens who just have a car accident or yeah. some type of impact right. accident typically, which uh, causes the break. Right. But for you, obviously, that wasn't the case. Yeah. It was a stroke. And I think that that's something that is not talked about a lot and maybe Mm -hmm. not as common, but it still can produce just as great of the side effects um, when we look at those spinal cord injuries. And Mm -hmm. so you got really lucky. So when, I guess people might want to hear a little bit about when you got your diagnosis, when they assigned you a label for what was happening to your body and why you couldn't feel certain sensations and why you were unable to move, why you were paralyzed. So when did you get that label and what was that label? Um, So I guess that next morning the doctor came in and he was like, so you had um, a spinal cord injury um, and then he he laid out kind of what that means. Um, But he gave me an official diagnosis called transverse myelitis initially, um, which is basically um, an autoimmune disorder uh, where the... uh, um, the immune system attacks the spinal cord. So a lot of the, um, I guess, the signs and my different counts and stuff like that were, that's what the doctors initially thought I I had. Um, And then after plenty of trips to like Hopkins and Mayo Clinic and all of that to get a more specialized view, Mm -hmm. um, they decided it was a spinal stroke. Mm -hmm. But basically what what they said in that initial consult that morning was, I had an incomplete spinal cord um, in my cervical region, um, so in my, in my neck region. Um, so first, because it was a cervical injury, um, anything below um, that point on my spinal cord, um, like limbs and trunk and all of that would be affected. So my arms, my trunk, and my legs were all affected because the injury level was so high. Uh, but because it was an incomplete spinal cord injury, meaning that the spinal cord wasn't severed, um, I still had um, the ability to regain function um, through, like, I don't know, nerve regrowth or um, the body, like, plasticity mm-hmm. of the body trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. complete the task in a new way. So was it in that same conversation that the doctor told you that you were quadriplegic? Yeah. Okay. So, and- yeah, he, I mean, there was a lot of, like, label giving and a lot of, like, at that time, if you haven't heard those phrases before, you're just kind of like, well, what's the difference between like quadriplegic, paraplegic? Like what are all these different mm-hmm. labels and things mean? For sure, for sure. So he tells you, Kale Hyder, 
you are now quadriplegic. Mm -hmm. He says, you're likely never going to be able to walk again. Mm -hmm. All these things, you know. And you're coming at this from previously being a very active young man, being an athlete. Mm -hmm. What did that feel like in that moment? I mean, I obviously know it was devastating. Um, and I hate to use that word in any correlation with anything related to disability because disability in and of itself is not devastating. Just wanted to put that little caveat mm. right there. Um, okay. We hate the newspaper titles that say, oh, blah, 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 person has devastating injury. And if you search Kel's name, you can see quite a few of those for <laughs> himself. But that's my little caveat. But I'm sure, obviously, yeah. and I know in talking to you that it hurt. But do you think that outside of obviously the obvious reasons for that label hurting so much and that prognosis. Do you think that there was a bit of a societal stigma associated with that term? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the way I approached it, um, I I don't think I was incredibly devastated at the time because I don't think I understood the extent. I kind of mm. thought it would be more of like a one or two or three month gig where I did what they told <laughs> me and I would be okay and like back on the basketball court yeah. that fall. So I don't think at the at, at the time I understood it to the extent um, I was like, all right, I'll just work really hard. Um, <laughs> so I don't think I I got the chance initially to like really understand what that stigma meant. But I think with time and realizing that this was, you know, a long term game of like years where I wouldn't see complete recovery, but um, some sort of recovery. Yeah. That's when that stigma stigma piece sort of set in where I was like, uh I mean, I, I struggled with how people viewed me. I didn't mm -hmm. know if if people would like the quote unquote new me. Like I'd been an athlete. Would my friends still like me if I wasn't an athlete? Mm -hmm. Would girls like me? Would they find me attractive? You know, all of these different. Mm -hmm. Would people treat me like a sick puppy? Like all of these different things that mm -hmm. you just don't know how everyone's going to respond. So you just you just have to experience it, I guess. I don't I mean. Mm -hmm. Was was quadriplegia something that you were familiar with prior to your injury or had you not really heard of it? I heard of like a, a football player who had become in my hometown, he'd become, I think he, he had a spinal cord injury, but then he later died because of um, how severe it was. He, <sighs> but he got it um, on the football field. So it was a pretty okay. extreme um, injury that ultimately um, led to his death. So that was like the only experience I had. Um, so, but I wasn't, I, I don't think I was fearful. Like, I knew that I, I would be okay. Mm -hmm. So, she hit Siri over here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you, that laugh was hideous. Okay. So, carrying on, I guess. So I want to touch a little bit on something that you mentioned earlier. You started saying that initially, you know, you didn't really take in the full impact of the injury because you were like, I am Kel Hyder, I am invisible, like, I'm going to beat this. Mm -hmm. So how how do you think that that drive affected your ability to recover? And do you do you think there was ever a moment in which you questioned how far your, your drive could get you once you had started the recovery process? Um, well, I had a lot of faith in my work ethic because I'd, I'd really built that up over, mm -hmm. over the years. And I, I, yeah, I mean, I'd relied on that and I'd seen the results and mm, the way I performed on the basketball court and the way I performed on, on the cross country 
field path, I guess. So mm-hmm. I trusted my hard work and I knew it could get me far. So I would do like they had me after I left Peoria, they had me go to a rehabilitation hospital in Chicago um, called Shriners. Um, and I did four hours of daily therapy um, to try to regain strength and function. And um, But I decided, you know, that wasn't enough. So I would do stuff outside of um, those four hours. I got my own weights and I would try to lift my own weights and I would work on simple things in the beginning, like just sitting on the side of the bed without falling over or like leaning down to touch my toes without falling over. So just like simple mm-hmm. things. Obviously, I wasn't trying to like run a mile. Um, but just simple things to build like core strength and stuff like that, that would allow me to eventually start walking again. Um, but I guess to answer your question, like, I guess I really trusted myself and I believed that if I put in the work, it would, it would work out and it wouldn't amount Mm -hmm. to nothing, especially knowing that I had an incomplete injury. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I was willing to put in some work, hopefully things would go well. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how well, but I guess I would, I would see. And I think that the faith component of your story is is something that a lot of people are are probably going to be pretty motivated and inspired by, you know, mm-hmm. because, again, for the large number of people who have a spinal cord injury, your level of recovery isn't possible. And usually that's not by their own fault, you know, mm-hmm. just is how the these injuries uh, lay yeah, out. How the they dice are, roll. Yeah. They are very severe. But for you, you just happened to, you know, by by a combination of hard will, faith, luck, you know, all of these factors just mm-hmm. lined up correctly. And you were, I guess, just honestly blessed yeah. with the ability to get as far as yeah. you have. Having, you know, having doctors that knew to give me treatment mm-hmm. and then working hard. It was all kind of having a combination. Injury, yeah. It's all just worked together perfectly which i think is amazing um so i guess feeding a little bit off of that let's go into some of the approaches you took to regain ability outside of therapy because Mm -hmm. you know we mentioned you had this incomplete injury but you were paralyzed from the chest down initially Mm -hmm. so outside of therapy obviously we touched on that and how how that played a very big role in your recovery but what other I guess, procedures did yeah. you do that helped you regain function? I think yeah. that our listeners might find that kind of interesting. Yeah. So there, I mean, there was, there was two different uh, procedures outside of therapy. One was like um, different drug infusions um, because like how I mentioned initially, like that secondary attack from the immune system, um, if you don't clear all of that inflammation out, it can actually block um, signals from passing through and um, new connections from being made. Um, so the first step that my, my physicians thought, or just like guided me to do was to, uh, seek treatment to clear the remainder of that inflammation out to see what recovery would come from that. Um, so I did a series of rituximab, um, infusions, which is sort of like a, sort of like a cancer infusion. It, it it basically wipes out your entire immune system and you start from scratch um, so, and that would help to eliminate all the inflammation. Um, and then in April, 2016, um, after, so like 10 months after my onset, I, uh, went to New York city and had, uh, bilateral nerve transfers. Um, so why I needed that, I guess. So my hands had, hadn't recovered very well at all. Um, I was really struggling to use my hands. Like 
I was beginning to walk at that point and could move my arms. I could like flex my arms. I could put my arms above my head, but I, I couldn't use my hands really at all. So I went to New York um, to the hospital for special surgery um, under Dr. Scott Wolf, and he did nerve transfers. So he would take healthy donor nerves, split them, and um, connect them to um, nerves that were no longer working because of my spinal cord injury. And then with time, like with one to two years of like intensive therapy, like he he hoped that I would see some sort of gain. Um, there's no like um, like certainty, but um, I decided to go with it because it was mm-hmm. that or nothing, and my hands hadn't really recovered mm-hmm. to that point. So I did that, and like a year later, I started to see return in my hands, and I mean that's been really awesome because it's allowed me to live independently and start opening like packages start opening Mm -hmm. like jars all of these things that like you would never think of but it's allowed me to do yeah Um, all the things that you wouldn't associate with independence typically that really are make it or break it mm -hmm. for for something like this Mm -hmm. and i think i i know both of us have seen a lot of individuals with similar injuries that the hands are really the barrier to complete independence yeah. for them. And if you if you go back and again, if you look at those news articles and news videos that um, are about Kale, you'll see that he has been quoted a lot of the time in, in those previous instances talking about how his ultimate desire was to gain independence. And I mm-hmm. guess I'm really proud of you that you were able to meet that goal, live independently at Hopkins and just have that in your back pocket you know that's I know that's something that meant a lot to you and it's it's no no easy undertaking and you know something that many are not fortunate to mm-hmm. have so I'm just I'm really glad that you have that thanks babe I know it means a lot <laughs> um no and because I got those um nerve transfers I and my hands started working they, it's not like wow like they open and close really well now but it's you know little things like added strength and that's, you know, just enough to get things um, done. And then with time, like those small muscles start strengthening and it, what once was something, you know, a very difficult task becomes like trivial, you know, Mm -hmm. very easy to do. But because I got that independence back, it, it allowed, it gave me the confidence to tackle something like going to Hopkins. When I live in the middle of the Midwest, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go live by myself on the East Coast. Yeah. You know? And, you know, my parents and I had a lot of conversations, like, and they would ask me, like, like, we're confident in you, but it's still a huge thing to try to balance school and living on your own. Like, are you sure you're up for that? So, I mean, it was kind of scary, you know, (laughs) looking back, like, you kind of forget those, those discussions that, they were like, are you sure you don't want to stay closer to home? Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? I'm just, I guess I'm going to go for it and see what happens. Yeah. Well. What other questions you got for me? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess I'm just trying to think mostly about what, because we got a lot of questions again about mm-hmm. you and your injury and mostly from people who who haven't had these long conversations with you before, just wanting to know more. So I guess we've kind of covered the basis of how your injury started, how you recovered, what what methods you used to mm-hmm. help aid you in your recovery. Um, so I guess that kind of leads us towards maybe one of the final pieces of this interview, which is, you know, what we mentioned earlier that you initially, again, were paralyzed 
from the chest down. Mm-hmm. But obviously that's not the case anymore. Um, anyone who follows either of us on Instagram can see that you can walk, you can stand, you mm-hmm. can do a lot of these very impressive tasks um, for, for well, those thank you. who have your <laughs> injury. Um, so what can and can't you do now? What, I guess, mm-hmm. are those areas that you still struggle with, that you're still working on, and where, what are your major achievements? You know, What yeah. have you accomplished? Sure. So I guess... I still my my hands I think are still maybe my my biggest limitation maybe um, so my left hand is my strong hand initially I was right-handed before my injury uh, but after my injury I actually had more function on my the left side of my body including my left hand so when I started writing again um, you know I could grip with my left hand and I couldn't with my right so I was like you know what if I want to write, I'm going to have to use my left hand. So I transitioned and I started writing with my left hand. And because, you know, I was writing all the time with school, it, it got stronger a lot quicker than my right hand. Um, so now it's my it's not my dominant hand. Um, but, you know, I struggle opening my fingers on my left hand. So if I want to put on gloves, um, which I have to do a lot of times in different labs at Hopkins, it, it takes a long time to get those on. Um, with my right hand, it's the opposite. So I can't really grip, but I can open my hands really well because of my nerve transfers. Um, so I can put on gloves, but I can't really like manipulate small objects very well. Um, so, I mean, I guess because they're so different, it's kind of nice. I got one tool that can do one thing and another tool that can do another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then I guess, you know. They're also very, very good at back rubs. Yeah, she loves my, my back <laughs> rubs with my hands. So. Uh, I compliment his hands all the time. He knows okay. it's it's one of my favorite it qualities of the hands. Okay, that sounds gross. He's <laughs> <laughs> learned something that means something different. For back massages, quad hands are different. Uh, just the way that the <laughs> atrophy happens to turn out is just the perfect angle to give the best macro possible. Okay, so okay. 10 out of 10 recommend. Don't steal my man, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, if you can find someone with quad hands, I would, I would <laughs> definitely recommend. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we're weird. Okay. You love me. Okay. okay. So, and then, yeah, like I said, so I'm stronger on my left side. So my right side is a lot weaker. So when I was like starting to walk again, my left leg um, actually was like pretty much fine after a couple months. Like all the strength had pretty much returned. Mm. Um and I didn't, I didn't have any signs of paralysis really in my left leg, but my right leg was a different story. And it took a lot of therapy and a lot of months to finally get some of those muscles to start working again. And um, so I guess really the only muscle in my leg that doesn't really work or is too weak to work on its own is um, one of the muscles in my shin that pulls up my foot. Um, and because of that, I wear a, um, a brace called a bioness, which... Mm-hmm gives me um, like electric stim um, to some of those shin muscles mm-hmm. when I walk. And it's it's a device that's commonly used for individuals who have drop foot syndrome, which mm-hmm. is essentially kind of what you have just through the paralysis. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Kel can get into a little bit yes. deeper. So basically, like, I, I'll put it on um, right below my knee, um, and then there's a heel sensor in my shoe. Um, and then when I turn it on and I'm walking, when I step on it, it shuts off 
And then when I like weight shift off of that heel sensor, um, it will turn on and like stimulate my foot to come up mm-hmm. um, so that my my toes don't drag and they clear the ground like how they're supposed to. Um, and it's I mean, it's been a lifesaver. Some, yeah. I mean, it's sometimes I I struggle with it so much because it I mean, it's technology and it's it's some it's like an initial project and all of that stuff. So there are some glitches to it. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it allows me to walk as normally as possible, mm-hmm. um, which helps with, you know, not fatiguing as quickly and going longer distances than mm-hmm. if I didn't have it. I was just dragging my foot all the time. Yeah. So yeah. I guess you use your Bioness, um, or as we like to call it, Nessie. Yeah, we call her Nessie. Because <laughs> um, everything's better when you personify. But so he can typically go for... For, I don't know, how, how how long would you say? Maybe like 10, 20 minutes walking? Yeah, like we that? do. Longer we, standing, like an hour standing. But yeah, like walking st- like 20 minutes probably? Yeah, I'll, I'll do like 20 minutes walking and then I can do some standing breaks with you. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if I'm walking by myself, then I, I make it a lot shorter of a walk. So I make sure I get home safely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if I'm going with you and I'm pushing myself and I know that you're there, then I'll I'll try to go longer, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he also has an ECB scooter. So Kale's able to use that for longer distances or when he needs to be able to cover um, a shorter distance in a quick amount of time. Yeah, it goes four miles per hour. So yeah, I, so I it's around. very speedy. Yeah. Luckily, I'm a fast shuffle walker. So, <laughs> yes. I can keep up. Most yeah. couldn't. <laughs> so he uses that to, you know, kind of traverse around campus or when we want to go on an adventure together, a lot of the time, even though that's a small distance and he could do it walking, we'll take the scooter because since walking is a task that requires mental effort on Kale's part, a yeah. lot of the time if we're going to a museum or going to a city or a town that we haven't been to before, mm-hmm. he wants to be able to fully take in the experience and yeah. not be worried about, am I going to fall over? Am yeah. I going to be able to walk? Is my brace going to work? Yeah. So then he'll bring his scooter along for that. We'll just load it in the car, take it out, and then he's able, again, to have that independence and just to relax and have fun with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... Both of those devices are honestly lifesavers mm-hmm. and XO, XO, heart, heart, hugs and kisses to <laughs> Bioness and Scooter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> sorry, I just, just wanted to send my Valentine's to them. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess that, that covers most of it. Are there any, I guess, closing words that you want to give about your injury or about upcoming obstacles you faced or just commenting about anything else you feel like we haven't covered that people might find interesting? Um, I guess, I mean, this has only been like a 30, 31-minute yeah, podcast. not comprehensive. It's not comprehensive, and I kind of threw it all together really quickly. But, it, I mean, it's been a a five-year game and it's hell of a ride hell of a ride you know (laughs) and it it wasn't just like a year and we're like okay it's like a year and then you know and the way that you start walking again is like you don't just start walking like you have to wear like full-legged braces and then you have to go half-legged braces Mm -hmm. and then no braces and then walkers and then different type of walkers and then no walkers and then all of these different steps steps and stuff like that that takes months and then 
it's just it's a very long process mm-hmm. and, and the but, steps haven't haven't stopped we're, yeah. we're still working still growing just in the past year that we've been dating i've noticed increases in strength like you can now pick me up <laughs> um that's pretty cool that's an able body task i think a lot of couples take for granted mm-hmm. and you know just just the little things like you know, when you wear like a muscle tank, your your <laughs> arm muscles look look so much bigger and stronger now. It's because you're feeding and, me. Okay, partially. That's that's a talk for another time, though. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, just you've worked really hard, and you have an incredible staff of trainers and physical therapists mm-hmm. who have well kicked your ass and yeah. gotten you, you know, to a really incredible place. Okay, but keep going. Your talk. I just wanted to. Just oh, give, yeah. give my no, shout outs I, to his team. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying it's a long-term game. And then there's some days I wake up and I'm like, you know, the brace doesn't work or I just feel terrible because I either did a lot the day before or maybe I didn't even do anything the day before. I just feel bad, you know. And, yeah. and some days it's like the world just feels like it's falling apart or that you haven't really gotten anywhere. But then you just have to look back and be like, it's okay. It's okay to take a day off. And then you just get back to it the next day. Or the day after, depending on what mm-hmm. your body feels like. So I feel like there was a lot of life lessons to take out of this whole debacle, you know? Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. I mean, it did take a lot, but it yeah. also gave me a lot. So mm-hmm. led you to Hopkins, led you to you. Aw. <laughs> I was going to say your career path, but sure, me. Huh. <laughs> it's not all bad. All right. Okay, so thank you for joining us two uh, cheesy people uh, as we embarked on this 33-minute bonus episode. I hope that this helped answer your questions. We really want to tailor this podcast to our audience, so Mm -hmm. please keep your questions coming in. We are looking at all of them and planning out episodes as we speak, Mm -hmm. so please let us know what else you want us to talk about, and we definitely will talk about it. Again, this is a podcast for the people, so thank you so much for being here with us, and ciao. Ciao.